Thank you. It is lovely to be back at uh, the church, uh, just looking around as we say in Ireland, it's nice to shake hands with old faces. And uh, many of you just are very precious to me. We did come here 25 years ago. Uh, when I first married my lovely Irish wife, Debbie, one of the first places I ever brought her was uh, to see Sam at the church. And uh, she and Sam were an instant hit. I mean, it was like family. And uh, we would come back every year. And then, as Pastor John said, the Lord kind of changed our assignment a little bit. And... Uh, we went into Romania and found a quarter of a million children dying uh, of various diseases. Uh, what had happened was the communist state under Ceausescu said every woman of childbearing age had to give birth to five children. You say, what was that all about? Well, he wanted to multiply the workforce, the armed force, the farm force, create a worker's utopia. And of course, when these children arrived, after parents had one or two, they couldn't take care of the next two or three. So they would bring them and dump them in state-run orphanages, which were nothing but warehouses without heat, without utilities. And very quickly, 20% of those babies and children developed AIDS uh, from unprotected blood supplies. 50% of them had hepatitis B, and all of them had hookworms, tapeworms, giardia in the water supply. And uh, when we went in, we rolled up our sleeves and said, God, what can we do? And uh, I mentioned this in opening because this church has been one of the most generous and faithful churches in supporting us. And I wanted to come today and say thank you for your kindness every year. You'll be pleased to know what's happening with your investment every year. For the last 10 years, we have rescued 250 children from the streets, the state-run orphanages, and the sex trade. We bring them to the village of hope, and we rehabilitate and re-socialize them, and we place them into families, and we support the family to make sure all the child's needs are met. And probably within the next eight months, we will have hit a grand total of having done that for 2,000 children. And uh, thank you for the fact that you have had enough. Uh, this is really interesting. While I'm talking to you here, I mean, right now, I have a team in Romania we are just opening a brand new 9,000 square foot building on three levels, 3,000 square feet on each level. And it'll be the new village of hope and it'll help us to reach and rescue more kids. So and when I pastored, we used to give to missions. Sometimes I'd hear what happened. Other times I'd never quite know. So any chance I get, I like to come back and say, I know you've given. I appreciate it, and I want to come back and report the seed you've sown is multiplying into a great harvest. And uh, 
thank you for the bottom of this Irish heart. And Debbie sends her love to you all. She's at home. As you know, we have the, the devotional I write. By the way, this is her 20th anniversary this year. Can you believe that? Uh, you never know where God will take you, do you? You really don't. Uh, 20 years ago, I wrote this little daily devotional called The Word for You Today for a group in England. Uh, and this group were trying on the air in the UK and Ireland. You, of course, you know I was born in Ireland. I mean, I live in Georgia, but I sure didn't get this accent in Georgia. And uh, so I had such a burden to see Christian broadcasting back in Ireland and the UK. And uh, so I said to this small group of volunteers, look, what you need are names, people you connect with who share your vision to put Christian broadcasting into the country. And I have the ideal tool to do it. I'll write this daily devotional and you give it to them. Just say, hey, would you like a free daily devotional? Okay, give us your name and address. Give them the word of the Lord. It's got a 90-day lifespan, so there you'll be in front of them for 90 days. Sometimes you think you have a good idea and you discover it's a God idea. And that took off. And today in the UK, we have 1.5 million daily readers. It's, it's amazing. And 8 million readers worldwide. And I have a staff in Atlanta with about 30 people and... Uh, about 6,000 churches get it now, and it's just growing, growing, growing. And uh, I'd like you to pray about something. I can't give you detail, but one of the largest Christian television networks in the world have just approached us to say we'd like to put it on film and play it two or three times a day throughout the world. If that happens, I will say... Now let us thou thy servant depart in peace, <laughs> for mine eyes have seen. So God has been incredibly good, and even if that doesn't happen, I am still so thrilled to be in the will of God. John and Nita, we had a great dinner last night. We played catch-up. You know my brother Neil, of course, is a very dear friend of your pastors, and uh, most of what Neil knows I taught him. No, no, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. He is my older brother by two years and uh, has such a profound love for your pastor and for the family. Uh, anyway, great to catch up with you and to be back. It's a come home feel. I used to come here every year. Many of you remember when I used to come regularly. Yeah. And uh, I'd preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and sometimes through Wednesday night. Back in the old days when they used to call it a revival meeting or whatever. And uh, never, ever, ever went anywhere that I loved more than coming right here to this group of people. And loved Sam Smith dearly. Don't think I had a man I ever highly esteemed more in the Lord. And I know you feel that way. Before you turn to the Bible, uh, you'll get the daily devotional, the word for you today. Well, this is new. It's the 20th anniversary edition called The Best Of. And we picked the best days that our readers wrote in about from the last two or three years and put it, 365-day edition. 
you'd like to get it, go by there. It makes a great gift for a friend. And like this past year, I celebrated a big milestone. 20, I beg your pardon, 50 years in ministry. This is worth it just to get the before and after photograph on the cover. You ever look back at your old photographs <laughs> and say, and, and it's just my story. Uh, my mom's dad, my grandfather, was one of the builders of the Titanic. And, he, uh, and his daughter, my mom, is who led Neil and I and Ruthie, my sister, to the Lord. And we're the three who write the Word for Today Daily Devotional. It's an amazing family story. And uh, tell about the good times and the bad. They're all in there. Three books, right quick. Conquering Depression. If you suffer or a friend does, get it, get it, get it. Second, praying and getting results. If there's something you're petitioning God for, there's keys to answered prayer and be not afraid. Whatever is holding you back, let God set you free. Uh, that's really all I wanted to say, but they're on the book table at the back. And, you know, the longer I live, the more I think, what can I invest into people that's lasting? You know, you can have a chit-chat. How can you sow into somebody and have fruit that remains? That's what those books are about. took God 50 years to teach me what's in that. So go get a hold of it. Uh, and if you can't afford it, say Bob Gass said I could have a free book, and you can. If you can't afford it, I want you to have the word of the Lord. I mean, somebody else, you pay double for the one you know. No, I'm only joking out there. Uh, I'm going to talk to you today. John, can I just give you these? I'll get them out of my way. Uh, thanks. I'm going to talk to you today. On how God provides for us. Hmm? I'm sure you have a need or a dream or a goal you feel God has given you. And you wonder how will God put it together? How will he provide and resource what I need for it? We'll start in Hebrews 8 and verse number 11, and let's see how far we get. Uh, John, you said you get out of this service by 10.30? Oh, it's tons of time. I mean, I never forget I was preaching once in a church in Colorado, and they had a little brass plate on the pulpit where only the speaker could see it. And the brass plate said, if you don't strike oil in 40 minutes, quit boring. And uh, so let's kind of see what uh, we can do. Hebrews 8 verse 11. By faith. Everybody say by faith. God only trades in one currency. In Ireland, where I grew up, we traded in pounds, shillings, and pence. Came to America, and you trade in dollars and cents. God only trades in one currency, 
faith. And without faith it is impossible to trade with God. Hebrews 8 and 11, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And I want to just stay with this next line briefly before moving on. And he went out. Oh, some of you are going to love this. You're going to say, my God, Bob, this is where I'm living right now. What does it say? And he went out what? Read it. Hebrews 11 and 8. What does it say next? Did I say 8 and 11? I'm so sorry. That is the first mistake I have ever made, and I am so sorry. All right, now we're in sync. Uh, Come back to the next service. I'll be wide awake. I'll be much more coherent. Hebrews 11, verse 8. Thank you for that. By faith, faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would uh, receive as an inheritance. And he went out, what? Not knowing where he was going. How many of you could say, that's my story too. I'm following God, but I wish I knew a lot more. He gives me information like the military on a, quote, need-to-know basis. I came to America in 1962 with two sermons in a briefcase, 25 cents in my pocket, no formal training, going into the ministry. I didn't know who'd invite me to speak, if they'd like it when I did, if they'd pay and support me. I mean, I just flat. I knew God had called me, but I didn't know the rest. I went to Bangor, Maine in 1969 to pastor my first church, about 300 people. And I have to tell you, this was new. Instead of just having a set series of teachings that you had become very acquainted with now, you've got to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, you've got to be fresh. Three times. I used to walk through that church on a Sunday night and lay hands on the seats on a Saturday night in anticipation of Sunday morning. Sometimes I'd anoint the seats. You say, you crazy? No, not at all. I was aware, God, if the anointing of your spirit doesn't come, I'm sunk. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. I need you to show up, Lord, and fill every one of these seats. And you know what I used to think to myself? I'm glad my people don't know how much I don't know. (laughs) Have you noticed that God calls people who always feel unqualified? (laughs) Jeremiah said, I'm a child. God said, stop saying that. You'll go where I send you, and I'll put my words in your mouth. When God called Moses to stand before Pharaoh, guess what Moses said? (laughs) Honestly, he said, I don't want to go. Send my brother Aaron. 
Everybody God calls has this profound sense of inadequacy. Total, God loves that. It's called forced dependence. If you can do it without God, there's a good chance it's not of God. Every act of God in your life is designed to increase, not decrease your dependence on him. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves, cried the Apostle Paul, but our sufficiency is of thee. Jesus said, without me you can do. That's the difference between Jesus and me and you. Jesus knew he couldn't do anything without the Father, so he never bothered to try. You and I, we're different. We preach without him, I can do. We sing without him, I can do. And as soon as we're through church, we walk right out that door and act like it all depends on us. And if we succeed, heaven help us. We become arrogant and nobody can live with us. And if we fail, it's because we caved in under the weight of an assignment God never even gave us to begin with. When I left Bangor, Maine, 12 years later, we had 1,500 people. We had a school. We had a daily, uh, tele- we had a weekly television ministry, etc. But I did a lot of growing and a lot of stretching. Uh, when I sat and wrote the first edition of the Word for You Today daily devotional that uh, you get here in your church, it never dawned on this Irish mind. If you start this, you can't stop. So what do you mean? This is a daily devotional. And once you give them the first 90 days, Guess what they're expecting when that's up? The next 90 days. And I've been at this. And if I had sat down to think, my God, I've got to do this for every day of every week, of every month, of every year, from now to Jesus comes back or I keel over. <laughs> you know what I'm just kind of chatting with you here about this verse. When you Hear the call of God and go. There'll be so much you will not know. That's why it's called we walk by faith. And not by sight. Well, if there's a ton of stuff you don't know, what do you know? You know faithful is he who promised. And he will perform what he has said. So. Abraham is the father of this nation. Well, he's actually the grandfather, but you get my drift, called Israel. And uh, from him comes Isaac, from him comes Jacob, from Jacob comes 12 tribes. Uh, They're down in Egypt. You know the story. Uh, Joseph is in favor, so they are blessed. Uh, and then there arose a pharaoh who knew not Joseph, and everything goes into reverse. They're tied with slavery, and for 400 years, that's where they are. Then God brings them out into the wilderness, guides and feeds them, and eventually brings them into the promised land. And isn't it interesting? How could anybody doubt the Bible? If you look at what's going on in the Middle East today, 
I mean, this book is more up to date than tomorrow morning's New York Times and a lot more reliable. So what I want to talk to you about is take you on a brief journey of how God will provide for you by showing you how God provided for his people. Okay? And he did it, and he still does it in four ways. Here they are. They say a good preacher tells you first what he's going to tell you. Number two, that he tells it to you. Number three, that he wraps up by telling you what he told you. So here's what I'm going to tell you. How God provides, if you look at Israel, first, through the hand of man. Pharaoh, go figure. If you were thinking who God would use to bless, to feed, to provide, Pharaoh would have been the last guy you'd ever have thought. Don't tell God who he can use and who he can't use. Second, after Providing through the hand of man. Second, he brings them into the wilderness and they get manna from heaven. So now he's providing directly through the hand of God. Okay? That goes on for a certain period of time. And then there's a dramatic moment, and I'll read it to you in a little bit. In Joshua chapter 5, verse 11, where the Bible says, And the manna ceased. O-M-G, as they do on the iPad. And uh, some of you who are my generational peers, I do have to brag a little bit. One year ago, I entered the space age, and I now can actually operate an iPhone and an iPad, and I can give and I can receive messages. She wanted to take you so long. I am a technophobe. I preach, I write, I travel, I have boldness. But you see, when it comes to technology, it intimidates me right out of my sneakers. And I think to myself, I'll never be able, my grandkids, they're operating three at once. And saying, Papa, get with it. Papa, we can't reach you. I said, what happened to the old Bell telephone? They said, who? I said, Bell. (laughs) Folks, really, the message never changes, but I got to tell some of you monsters, the methods do change, and you need to stretch and keep up with them. And the Bible says, and the manna ceased. Do you know what one of the most difficult moments in your life will be? When a person God once used to bless you or a system he once used to take care of you is suddenly withdrawn. And then you get back to this great one-liner when you've nothing left but God. That's when you discover, and not before, that's when you discover that God 
was always all you needed. That's it. He uses people, but he'll never allow you to have anybody or anything take his place. Because he wants a relationship. And the fourth way in which he provided, this is the good, good, good part. You're going to love this. When they was land, remember the 12 spies? Ten with a negative report, with a grasshopper complex. You ever meet Christians with a grasshopper complex? Uh, I know God promised me this, but the problem is so big, I can't see how it can ever happen. I know God said we could have that land, but did you see those giants? We were as grasshoppers. But up steps two people, Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb's words are a classic. Here's what Caleb said. They are bread for us. Whoa. Their strength is gone. Their protection is demolished. And I'm going to read this to you. Some of you are looking at me. You've got to be making that up, Irishman. That's not in the word of God. Are you kidding? That's not in the word of God. Numbers 14 and verse 9. Write it down. Underscore it. Didn't mean to get to the end before I started, but I see some of you looking at me curiously, wanting to know how this whole thing's going to go here. Uh, and John, do you have it? Is that on, do you get it on the iPad Bible too? <laughs> and John, what does Numbers 14 and 9 say? I can't hear you. You'd have to stand up so they could hear you way back there. <laughs> Bell against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed for them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Wow. Hey, do you know the best part is when you get to a place in God where you're so confident in Him, you have developed a relationship with Him where you begin to Feed off the stuff the enemy throws at you. And you say, bring it on. What does not defeat me will only make me stronger. For I am persuaded that nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Greater is he that is in you than if God before us. Is anybody listening this morning? Ah. Oh. Anyway, if I had preached that sermon, that's what I was going to preach to you about. So let's walk through it. How does God provide? Because see, none of this means much unless you get personal and say, God, would you show me how you're going to provide for me, my family, my career, my ministry, my calling? And the first way he does it is through the hand of man. Pharaoh. Why do you think God picked Pharaoh? I, I got several thoughts, but here's one of them. Because he's not 
the kind of guy you're apt to fall in love with. And that's important. God will use many people, but God don't want you getting hooked on nobody but him as your source. Don't ever dictate or lay down terms to God who he can use. That's a subtle thing that happens when we've been in church a while. We have strong opinions on how things ought to be and how things ought not to be. And we say, well, yes, I suppose God could use that brother. God could use that sister. But, hey, I personally can't see it myself. What are you talking about? Get off the throne and let God be God. If God... If God could use ravens, an unclean bird, to deliver meat, ravens have never been known to deliver meat. They've been known to eat meat, not deliver it. But when God speaks, nature is reversed. And here comes a widow. Why didn't God send Elijah to a wealthy family? In the middle of a famine? Glad you asked that. Because the wealthy family didn't need a harvest. They didn't need a miracle. The best day in that little woman's life was when a man of God placed a demand on her faith and said, put God first and you'll survive your famine. You'll outlive your pole bearers. You'll prove the promises of God. Have, have, have you ever figured about the kid that Jesus used to feed the 5,000? Don't tell me that you have 5,000 mature thinking adults and not one of them remembered to pack a lunch. (laughs) You know better than that. So what's going down here? I'll tell you what's going down. Those adults don't want anybody to know. Getting my life. I'm keeping what I got. Do you know who God used? A kid who opened his heart. We were talking about reaching the young people. Hear me, grandparents. Hear me, parents. If you want the blessing of God to be on this church, then you must build for three generations. You're, you, you, the grandparents, the parents, the children, or how often have you read this in the Bible for the promises for you and your children and your children's children and any time you build and minister to three generations you will have the blessing of God but who humanly speaking would ever imagine that God would take an obscure kid to work one of the biggest miracles stop telling God who he can use stop having preconceived notions that say well if God's going to answer my prayer it'll happen in such and such what are you talking about Ruth had no idea whose field she was gleaning in all she knew was my husband died I left my home 
I'm in a Jewish society as a Gentile lady, and the law says I have no rights except one. Whatever the reapers leave in the fields when they've gleaned one time, get this, oh, the compassion and thoughtfulness of God is incredible as you read the Bible. God says never reap the same ground twice. And whatever's in the corners, leave it. Who's that for? The widow, the orphan, the divorcee, the destitute, the hurting, the children, the needy. God cares about hurting people and Ruth's out reaping free grain. And into the fields he comes. His name is Boaz. She doesn't know him from Adam's house cat. Uh, He sees her. She sees him, but she keeps gleaning. I mean, here he is, tall, dark, handsome, rugged, commanding personality, every inch a man, and evidently the boss, because when he showed up, everybody started working, and he looks at her, and she looks at him. How do you describe that kind of chemistry? Some. You will see a stranger. Now, give me a break. I'm not the only singer in my family was a sewing machine, so I'm just doing my best up here this morning. But you're getting my idea. And God did the impossible. Boaz falls in love with Ruth, the Gentile widow who's penniless, and together they have a marriage blessed by God from whom comes King David. And follow it down the line comes my blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Don't tell God who he can use. I'm talking to somebody here today. Your problem, you've got God all figured out. You're thinking to yourself, well, I'm going to do my resume. And I've got a deal going at the bank. Stop! Have you talked to God? Have you factored Jehovah Jireh into the equation who shall supply all? One of my favorite stories from Ireland. Southern Ireland, we have high unemployment. It's rural. Sometimes 50% unemployment. And this little woman hadn't eaten for days. And she got down on her knees and reminded God of his word. I have been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seat begging bread. Father, you said that if I would put your kingdom first, I'm here she goes, pray, pray, pray. And a couple of kids heard her praying. And they went to a store and bought a loaf. True story. And they jumped up on her thatched roof and they dropped the loaf down her chimney. And she picked it up and gave thanks. She was thrilled. Who wouldn't be? They knock on the door and then they walk and they said, what happened? She said, happened a real life miracle. I had been without food for two or three days. I prayed. Uh, And God sent a loaf right down 
the children, well, they were laughing so hard they didn't know what to do. And one said, you better tell her. And the other one said, well, we hate to tell you this, but we heard you praying for bread. We went to the store with our own money and we bought you a loaf. And we also climbed up on your roof and dropped that loaf down your chimney. Now, what do you think? She said, I still think God sent it. The devil, the devil may have delivered it, but God sent it. Are you getting my idea here? Trust God, but don't dictate to him. Follow him, but don't lay down terms as to what he's going to do. And just before I leave this thought, let me put a P.S. here. Very, very important. Don't stay at any one source longer than God wants you to remain there. That's big, that's big, that's big. Say, what do you mean? Well, what happens is when God uses a person or a thing or a system to bless us, we get comfortable and we say, have it figured out. It's how it's always going to be. And the Bible says in 2 Kings 17, Elijah was sitting by this brook and the brook was flowing so he'd fresh water and the ravens were coming in so he'd fresh meat. But one day the ravens didn't show up. And the brook dried up. Question, why would God allow your brook to dry up? Answer, to drive you back to your real source. And that's himself. God will use many different people in your life, but he'll never allow you to get hooked on anybody but him. So what are you going to do when people exit your life and disappoint you? You're going to say, I bless them when they come and I bless them when they go and I'm going to keep trusting God to be my source and my provider. Oh. Nobody is supposed to preach this good in the early morning service. So, God wings them. <laughs> yeah, this is, I, I, I've got to tell you about this. <laughs> For 400 years, uh, I mean, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know is an old saying we have back in Ireland. Maybe you have it here in America. But it means like as bad as this person or situation is, at least I know how to work with them. If I, if I have to go without them, I'm afraid something worse is going to come. So after 400 years of being fed by fear, God weans them. To depend fully on him. Now, have you ever seen a baby being weaned? It's sometimes not a pretty sight or experience. You think from the baby's perspective. Uh, for nine months, thank you, my friend, 
For nine months it has been ensconced in the warmth of the womb. Absolutely no pressure, no responsibility, connected by a cord that provides every food you'll ever need. I mean, you hope your mama likes Hagen dazs mint chocolate chip ice cream, and you really hope they like Maine lobster or shrimp etouffee or whatever. But, and you you don't even have to chew it. I mean, it just passes right to you. And when you're not eating, you're sleeping. You're just there. I mean, if you got to vote, you'd never come out of there now, would you? So how are we? You weren't born to stay in the warmth of the womb. You were born for a unique destiny in God. So how are we going to get you out of here and over there? And suddenly, the first words you become acquainted with is, well, first, there's a lot of pressure being put on you, and you can hear alien voices shouting, push, Mrs. Smith, push, Mrs. Smith. And Mrs. Smith is saying, I can't push, I can't. And the doctor's saying, push, or it will not come, Mrs. Smith. And suddenly, finally, out you come. And you are a mess. And they pick you up. How do they pick you up? By by the heels. Are you, are you serious? They pick you up by the heels and slap your rear end to get you screaming. And when you cry, they laugh with joy. And they think, great. You're here. Huh. Hello? I had a question for you. Some of you have been wearing your pastor and your elders out. Coming back again and again with prayer requests. Pray for me, pastor. I'm going through a bad time. Pray for me. Pastor, the devil's not the devil. It's your mother. You're in the weaning process. God wants you to be born and grow up and fulfill the destiny that he has given you. Now behold. Listen, 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 listen. So they're in the wilderness. And uh, John, since we have designated you official reader and you have a microphone... If you would read just a verse from Exodus 16, verse 15. And we're about to see now how God provides. Used to be Pharaoh was taking care of you. Not a particularly good employer or boss, but at least you know you could pay the rent. You'd three square meals a day and you'd learn to cope. And now you've been weaned. And you're dependent directly on God. If you're going to make it. It'll be because God feeds you every day. What does it say? Verse 16. Yeah. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons. What does verse 15 say? Verse 15 
So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And then. And Moses said, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Thank you. Now, two thoughts right quick. Don't, don't, don't miss this. If you are an Israelite, God, what the word manna means? What is it? Honestly, that's what it means. And like, what is it? They didn't know. So they called it manna, which means, what is it? Can you imagine a couple of Jewish wives talking about, you know, how do you cook your what is it? And, uh, but let me tell you something about this, what is it, manna. Very, very critical information if you are a born-again believer and you want to grow strong in God. God says two things. Number one, I'll deliver it, but you've got to go get it. And, 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 you must gather it first thing every morning because you read it. If you don't, by noon, when the sun comes out, it will have melted and you'll have no food. And can I tell you something? You can't run your car on an empty tank. You can't work on an empty stomach. You can't pay your bills on an empty checkbook. And you cannot be a victorious Christian and fulfill your God-given assignment unless you know how to get up every morning and go get your spiritual manna, the word of God, because if you wait until noon, you are going to melt under the heat and the pressures that come your way. Isn't it interesting? Before Jesus picked his 12 disciples, do you know what the Bible says? It says he prayed all night. Before he calmed the storm, it says he prayed all night. Before he healed them all, that one time when it says he did it, he had been up before daybreak praying. You say, well, what's the big deal? Look into these Irish eyes and let me give you the big deal. Jesus did, but you don't. And what's the result? He picked the right people for his life. You pick the wrong people. Huh? He calmed the storm. What do you do? Sink, flounder, drown. He healed and worked miracles when you're sick. When you need a miracle, how many miracles are you getting? You have not because you ask not. And I'm getting, let me tell you why I'm so dedicated to uh, doing this little daily devotional. Because if I can get you into God's word every day, I've never met a Christian who didn't know you're supposed to read the Bible. Come on. We all know that. So why don't we do it? Good question.
Let me tell you why. Are you ready? People only continue to do what is rewarding. And if you don't like a food, you stop eating it. If you don't like a person, you don't hang out with them. People only continue to do what they find rewarding. Now, everybody knows you need to read the Bible. But if you read the Bible and don't get anything out of it, it's an unrewarding experience. So you stop reading the Bible and then you feel what? Guilty. And then you are what? Weak. So my assignment from God is to find the scripture. Lay it out simply and whet your appetite. I tell people, I just, my business is I produce the little book to whet people's appetite for the big book. But unless you learn to feed yourselves, and can I tell you something else? See, when it comes to God's provision, don't you go to some conference or listen to some TV preacher who says you can name it and claim it and believe if we all do the same thing, we're all going to get the same results. Nada. She follows sewing. I believe in that principle like I believe in gravity. I've lived by it. But, but do, 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 don't miss this. Here's what God said. If the family in the tent next door has six kids and you've got one, they get six times as much manna. So, when it comes to abundance, prosperity, provision, faith is the first step. But faith is not the ultimate regulator of your level of abundance. It's your God-given assignment that determines the level of abundance for which you can believe God. Some have one talent assignments. Some have two talent assignments. Some have five talent assignments. And God will provide for you according to the purpose. That's why it's crazy to compare yourself with other Nuts, nuts, nuts. If any two of us are alike, one of us is unnecessary. (laughs) So you need to go to God and say, God, what wilt thou have me to do? And when you know that, then you'll know how much you need faith to believe God for. You understanding me? And then the third way in which God provides is first through Pharaoh's hand, then through the hand of God. And number three, this is big, then by their own hands. Now they're in the promised land. And... Uh, Joshua 5 verse 11 says, and the manna ceased. Everybody say, and the manna ceased. Either you've had this experience or you will have it. 
a way in which God blessed, a system God once used, he'll change. And if your connection was just to the system and not the God of the system, you're going to be in trouble. One God, many systems. Don't get hooked on the system. So the next thing is, John, my official reader, would you turn please to Deuteronomy 11 and verse number 9. Deuteronomy 11 and verse number 9. And this is a very important thing I want to say here. Deuteronomy 11, verse 9. You all got? 11. Okay, John's struggling with his iPad, but he's got it here. And that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord swore to give your fathers to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. Go ahead. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you have sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a stop, vegetable stop, garden. Stop, stop, stop. I'm going to let you read on. In the old system, you used to be on the foot pump. What was that about? Well, you got your water from the Nile, and the only way you could get it from the river to the fields was you were on a foot pump sweating under the hot, soldering, 100-plus-degree sun, wearing yourself out. Uh, The song says something about making a living, (laughs) and and it wasn't easy. So what's God going to change? Read on. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Ah, isn't that great? Isn't that great? Now, God says, are you ready for this? It's time to get off the pump and into the flow. What does that mean? That means God wants to change your wilderness mentality of living from hand to mouth. Crisis to solution. He's done a lot of stuff for you. But God wants to get you out of pablum and pampers and onto porterhouse, off the bottle and into the battle. God wants you to grow up. God wants to change your wilderness crisis mentality and give you a stabilized way of thinking about God. Now stay with me. This is important. In other words, now, God says, I've done all this for you, took care of you when you were in sin, and when you came into my kingdom, I I fed you supernaturally, but now it's time to grow up and discover your purpose. Discover what I put you in my kingdom to do. Now, I'm going to bless the work of your hands, what you do. Every day. The church I grew up in in Ireland. I'm trying to think the right way to be kind about this, Neil and I. I mean, I'm grateful for all I learned. It was wonderful. But they did not know the principles of prosperity. Matter of fact, they preached against. Matter of fact, our church preached. Growing up, I never really knew what our church was for. I only knew what our church was 
against. Because basically we were against everything. If you were a spirit-filled Christian, you could not go to a soccer game. That was mixing with the world. You couldn't go to the movies. For if Christ came back, you wouldn't be raptured out of a movie house. <laughs> Honestly, I think I'm serious. Uh, and uh, you couldn't obviously smoke. Uh, and, and you couldn't drink. And, and the ladies, God help the ladies. They were not, they had to have uncut hair. They wore hats. They were not, not allowed to wear makeup. Give me a break. Even an old barn door looks better with a little paint on it. Now, doesn't it? And we preached against everything. <laughs> Do you know what we preached against most? Money, riches. I can quote verses I learned as a kid. How hard these shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of heaven? For it's easier for a camel to go through the heaven eagle or that one in James. Go to now, ye rich men, and howl for your miseries that I could. Jo- oh, I felt such joy thinking about the wealthy people across town howling in misery. It just seemed right to me. And we were very successful at preaching against money and prosperity because prosperous people with money never came to our church. So we couldn't afford to pay the pastor. We couldn't send out missionaries. We couldn't buy a building, build a building like this. And then one day God revealed to me that money's not the problem. He just needs to get it into the right hands. There is no shortage of money in there. Are you kidding? You watch those guys on Wall Street, what they did. Everybody else went home broke, and they went home with tens of millions of golden parachutes. There's no lack of money. We're just talking about whose hands is the money in. And God's goal is to get the money into spirit-filled hands with 2020 spiritual vision who see his last command, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world uh, unto every nation and then shall the end come. And it's going, to take, it's going to take money to fund that. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but this is worth talking about. Uh, I have a friend, you may know him, called Charles Neiman. He's in El Paso, Texas, big church. And his pastor and mentor is Tommy Barnett. So now you've got some context. And Charles Neiman was preaching for Tommy Barnett at First Assembly of God in Phoenix. And he preached on Revelation 1 verse 5. You have redeemed us unto God by your blood and have made of us Kings and priests. And here's what Charles preached. And I never thought of this. He preached in the Old Testament, kings and priests were different. Here's how they were different. The priests worked inside the church. You know, the sacrifices and all the things priests do. What did the kings do? Well, now the kings weren't Buckingham Palace type kings. They were like the tribal warlords you're looking at in Afghanistan. That's what the kind of kings they're talking about. So what did they do? 
they went out and did battle. And when they won, they brought back their spoils into the kingdom of God so the priests could minister the vision. Are you getting this? So the priests took care of the vision. And the kings, like businessmen and women, went out, did battle and won, and took care of the provision to fund God's work. Suddenly you're no longer seeing a pastor, an elder, a choir member up there as being called and you're just Joe Smoe and you work as a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker or whatever. And you think, I'm a lesser person. No, you're not a lesser person. You just ain't a priest, but you are a king. And God can bless you and cause you to prosper and bring back the spoils. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And bring it back into God's kingdom. Now watch, watch, watch. This is great. So, Charles is preaching. First assembly in Phoenix. And this guy comes up at the end of the meeting. Lovely guy, maybe. But in his 40s, 50, John. And he's visibly moved. He's weeping. And he shakes hands with Charles Neiman and says, you've changed my life. Changed my life. And Charles said, well, tell me what you mean. He said, I have the largest architectural company in the American Southwest. I have 250 on my staff, and I don't take a building bid, no construction, at less than 50 million, my starting point. He said, I was raised in an Assembly of God church. I'm saved, I'm baptized, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I speak in tongues, I love the Lord. But my dad always said to me, son, if you want to please God, go into the ministry. And he said, I tried. I actually went to Bible school. I loved my father. And if there was any way to please him, he was the one person whose approval I longed for most. But I couldn't. I'm not a preacher. I don't want to preach. I don't know how to preach. So I became an architect. And a very successful one. And Charles said, well, how has your life changed? And he said, sir, this morning I discovered for the first time that God calls two different types of people. Priests, church workers, the religious crowd, and kings. Those who go out into the secular, so the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. And suddenly they are salt and they are light and they succeed with the anointing and they bring back their treasures. And he reached into his pocket and took out a check and turned to Tommy Burnett, who was standing beside Charles Neiman and said this is for you to help you with the dream center I don't know if you've all heard of that the old city of angels hospital that had 10 stories in LA and it was abandoned druggies lived there prostitutes plied their trade and Tommy Barnett's son Matthew bought it and he was remodeling it 
to make it a dream center to bring kids from all over the world and introduce them to Christ and get them going for God. And he needed a lot of money. And this architect reaches in and gives a check to Tommy Barnett. And when he opens it, it's for $1 million. You know what? God has a plan. You may never give a million, but have a goal that says if the biggest gift I've ever given God was a thousand, you put a little note and write 5,000 on it and stick it on your fridge or put it on your mirror and say, God, I'm going to believe you to bless me so I can bless your work. And the more you bless me, the more I'll bless your work. And we'll just have this system going where I shovel it into your bin and you shovel it back into my bin. But God, it works because you've got a bigger shovel and I can't outgive you. Oh, come on, say amen. Wow. enjoying this? Yes. Yeah. I hope. I wish I was sitting out there listening to some of this stuff myself is what I wish. Now we come to the final way in which God provides. And that is through the hand of your enemy. And you read it so you don't need to read it again. Remember, 10 said the giants are too big. We're like grasshoppers. Let me ask you something. When you come up against a big problem, what do you look at? Yourself or God? What do you examine? What's in your checkbook? Your connections and what you have as talents and resources? Or do you say with Jeremiah, there is nothing too hard? For you now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we're able to ask or think, according to the power that's already resident and at work within us. And up steps Joshua and Caleb and said, Fear not, for they are bread for us. And God wants to bring you to the place where instead of running to the pastor and the elders and the Christian friend every time you come under spiritual attack and saying, oh, the enemy, the enemy is bugging me, the devil's attacking me. Listen! Attack is a sign of respect. Huh? Satan doesn't attack a retreating army. He joins it. Is a high compliment. It means he has discerned your destiny. He sees your potential and he's pouring on the pressure. Did, 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 did you think the devil was going to send you a congratulatory telegram to say, Welcome, well done, buddy? I'll get out of here. Grow up and cease. Do you know how you know? You're going places with God when you say with, with Caleb, bring it on. They are bread for us. We're going to eat their lunch. God 
is on our side. The greater one is at work. I can't wait to see how this is going to come out. But I do know when it is through, my God will win and I will. Let me put the caboose on here. Talking about how God can provide for you. And I understand the story I'm about to tell you is true. I've not met the lady, but it came as a letter. She's a reader of Word for you today. And uh, we get thousands of testimonies from around the world. By the way, just an aside before I tell you the story. I just came back from Cuba. And in November, we're going to print the first 25,000 editions of the word for you today. Right under Mr. Castro's nose. The Assemblies of God have a quarter of a million people. I met their general superintendent, and he says half of our people in our churches don't even have a Bible. They cut pages out. They put them together, sections they like. The government won't let any more than 10,000 Bibles a year into Cuba, and they take five of them for their libraries. So this was the first devotional ever printed in the history of Cuba. And I've told them, I'm going to pay for it for the first year. And the second year, I'm going to pay half of it, and you pay half. That way they take ownership, and we work together. And I'm going to systematically go down through every one of the 19 countries in Latin America I've already got a vision, and I'm going to give them God's word, God's life-changing word. That's my vision, and God is resourcing it. Anyway, we got this letter from a reader of the word for you today, and the story goes like this. This lady had a baby at home with a babysitter, and the lady was at work on her job, so she gets called from the babysitter to say, you better come. The baby's running a high fever. So, uh, she uh, jumps in her car. The babysitter says, by the way, on your way home, stop at a pharmacy and pick up some baby aspirin, something. We've got to get this kid's temperature down. So, she drives to the drugstore. She gets the baby aspirin. And when she comes out to her horror, she has locked herself out of her car. Now, this back in the days when you could do that. You could kind of use a wire coat hanger to, you know, all that stuff. So she's panicked. She calls the babysitter and said, I'm locked out of my car. The babysitter said, the temperature has spiked another degree. You've got to get home. We mean need to get this baby to the hospital. Get a wire coat hanger. Do something. Get that door open, but get home. So, uh... She gets a wire coat hanger in the drugstore, and she tries, but she can't do it. She can't work it. And she stops, and she looks up, and she said, God, if I ever needed you, I need you now. My baby will not die but live, and I need you to help me and provide. And the moment she said amen, a big Harley Davidson motorbike drives up and comes to a stop. And a guy who's about six feet plus Skullrike, tattoos, chains, boots. He steps off and he says, lady, what's your problem? 
And she looks at him. She said, sir, my baby's sick. She tells him the story. I can't get into my car. He says, give me the wire coat hanger. Step back, lady. And he walks. And in less than 10 seconds, he opens that door. And she's so thrilled, she hugs him. And she says, thank you. Thank you. You're a wonderful man. And he pushes her back like that. He said, I'm not a wonderful man, lady. I just got out of prison a few days ago. She said, what what were you in for? He said, I was in for breaking and entering. (laughs) That's not the end of the story. That's good, but here's the good part. Do you know what she did? She threw her arms around him and said, thank you, God, you sent me a professional. (laughs) My friend, please stop doubting God. Please stop. Hello, stop speaking words that encourage the devil and make him think you've no faith and that your God's weak. God can provide through the hand of the last person you thought or directly from heaven to your doorstep or he can do it through blessing your job and the work of your own hands and the beginning. He can even bless you through your enemies. They want to pull the rug out from under you. And God says it's not a setback, it's a setup. I'm going to use what men do and turn it around. You meant evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring the pass. In the back of every edition of this book, all eight million copies, around 20 languages, I told them, put what I write, but if you don't put this page in, you can't have the book. And the page simply says three reasons why you need Jesus. You know what they are? Number one. Because you have a past. We all do. Don't want to talk about it. It's an egg. We can't unscramble a history. We can't rewrite. You've got a past. And yet your problem is you can't go back. But I came to tell you. You can't but. He can because Jesus Christ is the same. Oh, I can't hear you. Ah. He can go back into your yesterday. And wipe your slate clean. And give you a new beginning. Number two, you need Jesus because you need a friend. You say, Bob Gass, respectfully speaking, you're a nice guy. I've enjoyed your preaching. But can I tell you something? I got a lot of friends. Look into these Irish eyes for about two seconds. And let me tell you a home truth. You may have a lot of friends. I don't doubt that. But do you know what you don't have? You've never had a friend like Jesus. 
because he can know the absolute worst about you and believe the best about you. Why, why, why? Because he doesn't see you as you are right now. He sees you as you're going to be when grace and mercy rewrite your life. And number three, you have a future. I have three grandkids. I just celebrated my granddaughter's 15th birthday. She goes to one of the best Christian schools in Atlanta. Thank God. Let me ask you something. Did you ever think, ever think, in your wildest imagination, that we'd live to see a day when Kim Kardashian would become a role model for my granddaughter. That is as sick and as bad. I don't mean that negative. She needs prayer. You pray for. But the kind of, you know what you need? You have a future. Your kids have a future. And if ever we needed the God of the future, he says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And they are plans for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope.